Good morning, Liberty. We're in a little bit of a different setup this morning because we thought we were going to be getting some snow, and we still might during uh, the time of normal church, but it hasn't started coming down yet, though we thought it was from what the reports said. Um, so we decided just to have me kind of share for a little bit uh, from my house, and hopefully y'all are staying warm and, and safe. Um, Turn to Hebrews chapter 12. I'm going to share briefly from Hebrews today. It says in Hebrews chapter 12, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that we have technology that uh, people in their homes can receive the ministry of your word today. And we pray that, uh, that it would be a blessing, that we would receive it. Um, however your spirit wants to use it. And we do ask, Spirit, that you'd use it um, powerfully um, to your glory and that you would be in each of the homes tuning in right now and fill, fill each of those people with your spirit, God, uh, for your glory. Amen. All right. It was Augustine who said, You have as many masters as you do vices. You have as many masters as you do vices. And I want to talk today about sin. Um, sin is serious. It destroys. It devastates. Um, and if we're honest, we can agree with each of those statements. It's serious. It destroys. And it devastates. Uh, recently, um, you probably all have heard Ravi Zacharias in his ministry. Um, Ravi had come under scrutiny for different actions that he had taken that he passed away this past May. Um, and subsequently, his ministry uh, welcomed and invited an organization that specializes in investigating such matters to do so. Uh, they released a preliminary report um, at the end of last year um, stating that it looked uh, very much indeed as if Ravi had uh, conducted himself uh, in, a, in a sexually immoral way um, on numerous occasions. And they just recently released um, the, the full findings of the investigation, uh, and they just left it um, without any editing whatsoever. Um, I read the the summary of the report uh, by a, by a Christian magazine um, a couple days ago, and then I read uh, the actual report uh, uh, a day later, and. Um, to say the least, it was, it was very disturbing, um, both the summary and and then the full report. And I, I would encourage you, um, one, uh, and, unless you're at a spiritual place where, where you can digest some of that filth, um, don't go read it. It's it's very atrocious. It's um, what he did was uh, disgusting and despicable, um, using women uh, and abusing women uh, for at a minimum for those period of years that they were able to thoroughly investigate likely much longer. Here's the thing. Um, when sin happens in our camp, uh, we need to call it out. 
and uh, we need to call it what it is. Um, it's sin. There's no excuse for it. Uh, I think um, at, at a time like this, uh, usually when I hear about someone's moral failings, different questions come into my mind. Um, all sorts of questions that we I, I could probably answer most of those questions for and, and take over half this day answering them because all sorts of questions. What does that say about Robbie's spiritual state? What does that say about Robbie's salvation? Um, I'd like to take it a little bit more and, and, and really use it as a time for us to reflect <clears throat> on where we are at um, in our own lives in regards to sin and how we're walking with the Lord. That's usually how I try to use it myself when I hear about people's moral failings. I almost use it as an opportunity to, to do a um, like a a checklist to, hey, where am I at um, in those particular areas where, where that person fell short? And then just in general, um, it's, it's like a, a, an opportunity to pause and, um, and examine my own heart. The scripture tells us, 2 Corinthians talks about, like, examine ourselves to see if we're in the faith. I mean, that's, that's what it says, examine ourselves to see if we're in the faith. And at times, uh, it is most appropriate to do that. At opportunities like this, it is uh, an opportunity for ourselves to pause I want to make a couple points today. Uh, we are blinded if we think sin is not a big deal. We are blinded if we think sin is not a big deal. And, and here's the thing, because we need to be careful. All of us um, have a propensity to want to cover our sin and to hide our sin. When we sin, the first thought is not, oh, let me go confess it to the Lord. Let me go confess it to my spouse. Let me go confess it um, to my best friend. Our our, our propensity, our natural incl inclination is to do exactly what Adam and Eve did when they first sinned in the garden. What did they do? They hid. They, hid. they literally hid. And then we figuratively hid. Now that works its way out in various ways. Sometimes when people are in sin, they'll hide from church. They'll hide from their brothers and sisters in Christ. They'll stop coming around. Um, they'll hide from God, so to speak. And they'll stop spending time with Him. That, those are all uh, inappropriate ways to deal with sin, but that is our natural inclination, is we want to cover our sin, we want to hide it, and we want to conceal it. But we are blinded if we think sin is no big deal. A lot of times we'll hear people say something like, well, that, that's just who I am. They'll use that as an excuse to explain away uh, whatever particular uh, sinful habit they might have. Um, it could even be a, a sinful uh, characteristic trait. Maybe they are uh, uh, verbally rude, to people on a, on a normal basis. Maybe they are uh, speak their mind at times when they need to show a little more compassion. They'll just say what they think. Um, uh, so it can, it can kind of be over a broad range of topics or areas, but they'll excuse it away. That's just who I am. Let's just pause for a moment and think about that. Because isn't that what unbelievers say when they talk about their own sin? That, that's just who I am. That's just the way I was made. That, I just, I can't help it. Um, friends, like God, he's redeemed us. He's uh, bathed us in the blood of Christ. He's totally wiped away our sin, and he, and he calls us a new creation. So when we say that's just who I am, we're actually going against the very word of God and saying, no, the new creation that God has made me, no, I'm actually the old creation. I'm still that old I, I still got the old man. I still got the old self. I still got <clears throat> that that old thing that I was. That's still very much a part of me, and I'm okay with that. That that's unbiblical thinking. So we want to be careful with that. 
<clears throat> because it's not who we are. If we are children of God, um, it's not acceptable to walk in sin. It's not acceptable to excuse our sin. It's not acceptable to continue in a path of sin at any point ever. Uh, God calls us to be uh, renewed in our thoughts and our minds, to have a transformed heart. And he has started that process at the moment of our salvation, but it's also carried out throughout our entire life. Now, we won't see the full fulfillment of that until we die, and then we will be fully sanctified. But in this life, we will have struggles. We will fight against sin. We will struggle through different things. But the hope and the belief and the picture that Scripture clearly gives us is that uh, who you were on the day of your salvation, whether that was 25 years ago, 10 years ago, 5 years ago, or last week, uh, that you are growing. That you are a believer who is growing in Christ. So who you were uh, 5 years after you got saved is different than 3 years after you got saved is different than 1 year after because you are growing in faith with the Lord and you're growing closer to Him. Okay, If you're just growing in head knowledge and you can quote different Bible verses then that's all you're doing is you have head knowledge. God's concerned about the entirety of you, including your head, but also your heart. So are you growing closer to the Lord? Friends, as you grow closer to the Lord, it affects you. Think just for a moment like Moses. Moses goes up, and, and what was recognizable about him when the people of Israel saw him? Like his face literally was different. So much so, it kind of freaked out some of the Israelites and he had to wear a veil. But the more time he spent with God, the more it affected him. Okay, For him, it was an outward appearance. For us, it's an inward thing. The more we're with the Lord, the more we're spending time with him, it should affect us. That's why things just as basic as going to church, things as basic as being involved in the life of the church, those things help us. Because we're around other believers who, what, have the same desires and cause uh, for growing in faith. And so as we're around them, we're encouraged. When I, when I hear about different people serving the Lord and doing different things, when someone gives a testimony, when someone um, shares a, a small story or anecdote, like, I'm encouraged to continue pressing on in my faith with the Lord. So we want to be around other believers. We want to be putting ourselves in situations and contexts where we can not only be encouraged, but we can also be an encouragement. Second, we're blinded if we think sin doesn't entangle us. Uh, that's how the NAS um, set, states it, where the ESV that I read says the sin which clings so closely. But I like the idea of, of sin which entangles us um, because that's what it really does. It gives a good picture of us getting all intertwined. When I was younger, when I was way younger, uh, like single digits young, I was I was big into dinosaurs. Big, big into dinosaurs. My favorite dinosaur was the Brontosaurus. All right, if you don't know the Brontosaurus, um, he's got that long neck, he's a plant eater, got that big old tail and a, and a, and a big old honking body. And I just like the fact that, uh, uh, to the best of my knowledge when I was younger, I mean, it seemed like he could give uh, even the T-Rex maybe a good fight for his money. But is that tail, when it got to swinging, could be a pretty lethal weapon. And so I remember um, when I was four years old, uh, my parents and my sister, uh, we went to California. My dad was in the Marines, and, and so he had to do uh, 
some type of service out there at the, at the Marine base. And so we went out there and kind of turned it into a family vacation. And I remember, uh, amazingly, uh, some pretty vivid details about that particular trip. I actually haven't been back to California since. Um, but when I was four, so we were out there. And one place in particular we went has stuck in my mind to this day, like 40 plus years later. And that was this place we visited called the, the La Brea Tar Pits. Maybe you've heard of them. They're some, somewhat well known. Uh, but basically, um, they have these tar pits out there. And over, whatever, thousands of years, animals, different animals would get caught up in it. And what would happen to the animal? He'd get, you know, that first bit of tar as he stepped into it and realized, oh, that's not a good thing. And then the more he fought to get out, the more entangled he became in, in the tarpet. So they got you know, different fossils and things because these animals ended up dying, trapped in these, in these tar pits. And 40 years later, I still have this clear picture of me walking down like this little ramp. And then at the bottom were, were you know, basically these tar pits inside. They had enclosed them. But, but that, is how, that is how sin is with us. Uh, it's to the point that it's like that tar pit. But we, we don't even want to mess with it. You know, it's, it's like, um, it's even like, if you think about it, like sap on a, on a tree, like especially evergreens or something. As I, I, when I was a kid, I loved climbing trees and you get that sap on your hand and you just can't, you can't do anything about it. It's just, it's gross, it's nasty, just the slightest touch and it's on you. And then as you try to wipe it off, or it just starts getting, you know, you're trying to wipe it off on the ground and then all it does is end up gathering dirt on your finger because your finger is so sticky. But sin is just like the tarpet. It's just that, like that sap. I mean, we get entangled in our sin and the more we think we can touch it or we can get near it, I mean, just red flags and danger signs should be going off. Are they? Because they need to be. And we're blinded if we think that sin doesn't entangle us. We're also blinded if we think our sin only affects us. Think for a minute about this, because when it comes to sin, we usually uh, lean one of two ways. We lean towards uh, Phariseeism, or we lean towards antinomianism. Okay, what, what was the issue with the Pharisees? I mean, they thought they were better than anyone else, and what did they do with their sin? They diminished their sin and magnified everyone else's sin. Antinomianism is almost the opposite, where you really just don't think sin is a big deal. But let's talk about Phariseeism for a second. Everyone else's sin is magnified. Our sin is minimized and hidden. But, oh, that, that small little sin that our spouse did, oh, that, I mean, that's a huge deal. And we got to make sure she knows about it, or he knows about it. Or that small little sin that our son or daughter did, that, that's a huge deal. And we blow it completely out of proportion. Meanwhile, the different sins in our life we end up making small. And if they ever try to bring it to us, uh, we can be quick just to put back in their face the areas where they're falling short or their sin. And, and, we'll, and we'll water down our sin and we'll make it as small as possible. Friends, we don't want to get haughty about other people's sins. Like sins that we haven't committed to this point in our life. We never want to say, I'd never do that. Because here's the thing, if any of us opened the window of our heart and let someone else truly peek in there, we'd be embarrassed and ashamed at some of the things that they saw. Maybe past sins that we've committed. Maybe current thoughts that we have going on. That's why 
the Bible encourages us and exhorts us to not be deceived, specifically in this area of sin. We don't want to be deceived. So we want to walk in righteousness and wholeness. So instead of wagging our finger at other people, instead of saying, oh, wow, that's, that's, I just can't believe, I would never do that. Like we need to pause and ask ourselves, like, what's in my heart? What is in my heart? Because it is so easy to get focused on other people's sins and then feel so good about like where we're at with the Lord. Well, that's a Pharisee. Because we're thinking, wow, they've done that, and I'll never do that. Well, what's that attitude? That, that's a haughty spirit. That's pride. And, and friends, I've heard people say, I'd never do that. And then they do it. They end up, whether it's months later or years later. Um, <clears throat> any of us needs to be careful for any sin. And we need to be on guard against any type of sin that we might be susceptible to. So we need to ask ourselves, what's in my heart? What do I need to repent of? And where am I at? The, maybe the other way that some people lean is antinomianism. Where it's, we just like, oh, what's the big deal about sin? And we don't even think, you know, uh, there is a big deal about sin. When you're living in the sea of sin, you know, every wave that comes along is just another wave of sin. That's not really a big deal. So we water down sin. Um, we water down other people's sin in part so we can water down our own sin. You realize that watering down sin um, waters down the very work that God did for us. It, 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 God does not consider sin a small thing. He considers it actually such a big thing that one, it requires us to make a payment for our sin. And the only payment we can make individually by ourselves apart from Christ is with our own life, paying for it with an eternity in hell. Well, that's pretty serious. God considers sin serious. But he also considers sin so serious that he sent his own son to die for sin, to deal with our sins, to make a way back to the Father but that's how serious sin is. It cost Jesus Christ himself his very life. So sin is serious. I want us to notice here in the scriptures, look back at verse 1, where it says, after that we've been surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight. So scripture calls us to deal with sin. And the picture that we get here, because it says, lay aside every weight in which, in sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So the overall picture here is of a runner in a race. And, and, and the word used here with lay aside every weight gives us the picture of the runner making sure that he doesn't have anything extra on him that would slow him down. So he's going to, you know, and when you watch the Olympics, um, you ever see any of those of those runners in the Olympics with even something like uh, a little bracelet or even a watch or anything? No. Anything that could possibly slow them down, they've, they've gotten rid of it. That's the picture here. Like, whatever weighs us down, whatever might slow us down in our race with Jesus, we need to get rid of. 
And so one question we should ask is, what, what impedes me running for Jesus? Is there anything that impedes me running for Jesus that I might need to get rid of? The second thing is, <clears throat> in regards to this, is he says, lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Now, the idea with the weight and the sin is that, I mean, they're linked together. So he's talking about getting rid of things that, that are going to weigh us down, that are going to slow us down. Sin slows us down. That's the idea. And friends, we have to be vigilant, specifically in the area, but also in general. We have to be vigilant in the fight when it comes to sexual temptation. And if you're looking at pornography or you're reading pornographic material, you're draining the life out of you one web page at a time. It is devastating. It is devastating. And if you're cheating on your spouse or you are tempted to cheat on your spouse, you need to repent of that. Those are thoughts. Those are adulterous thoughts or potentially adulterous actions. And you have to take drastic action now to save your marriage, to save your family, and to save your soul. Jesus like doesn't mince words. What does he say? If your right hand causes you to sin, what does he say? Bandage it up? No. Cut it off. What's his point? He uses hyper, hyperbole there to say drastic action must be taken when dealing with sin. You can't just baby sin. You can't just put a band-aid on it. You can't just wrap it with some bandages. you got to take drastic action. So whatever sin that might encumber us, and again, remember, you're going to want to minimize whatever sins you are prone to. You know, oh, is it really that big of a deal for me to look at this? Or is it really that big of a deal for me to read this? Or is it really that big of a deal for me to think this? Or is it really that big of a deal for me to say this? Well, if the scripture says not to, yes, it is a big deal. Is it sin? So we have to remain vigilant in the fight against sexual temptation. And if we are falling in this area, we need to seek help. We need to seek repentance from the Lord, and we need to seek help from others. Think about this. Ravi Zacharias deceived his entire board in, in, in an international ministry to think that he was walking in righteousness for decades and decades and decades. Don't be deceived yourself. Don't be deceived. Cry out for help. Get the help that you need. Okay? So what do we do when we get caught up in sin? What do we do? Where do we turn? Well, the answer is right here in the scriptures for us. Look at verse 2. Looking to Jesus. Those three words right there. That's our answer. Looking to Jesus. And why do we look to him? Well, it, it goes on. The founder and perfecter of our faith. He's the founder, some versions say author, and he is the perfecter of our faith. He went to the cross he lived the perfect life. He did what we couldn't do. He was sinless. And the one who is without sin actually knows best and how great a temptation can be without ever giving in to that temptation. He knows what the extreme end of temptation is because he met it and never once gave in to it. I'm reminded of uh, the... The third Spider-Man, I, I know there's like different versions of, of Spider-Man now, but I, I think it's the original, or I'll at least call it the original with Tobey Maguire. The third one, it's the one uh, where there's the symbiote venom, that like black, um, 
whatever goo stuff and ends up getting on uh getting on spider-man and what ends up happening to him it like changes him right it turns him from this nice going teenager to this vindictive somewhat cool uh punk and i remember watching this movie years ago um and 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 at one point he is uh Spider-Man is, is realizes like, oh wow, I mean like this completely changed who I am. It's affected me, and he's like struggling with it. And and the and the symbol uh, that you see is is um, is like his suit, you know, which is normally red and blue. His suit is black, so he's got this, you know, this black suit, and that's like the symbol of like that that the symbiote has, you know, Spider-Man. But he's at one point he's. He, he realizes, like, man, this is horrible, and I want to change, and I don't want to stop. And he is trying to, to tear off the suit, so to speak. And, and what happens? Like, he can't do it. He's trying on his own. He can't do it. But, but something intercedes to help him uh, get the symbiote off of him. And, and, and what was it, if you remember? Uh, the symbiote, Venom, it, sound it's like loud sounds or what he he can't stand so you know spider-man's fighting he's trying to tear this thing off of him and then he, he stumbles into this uh, large bell and that weakens venom and it weakens and finally as it rings louder he's able to, to free himself friends um just like in that illustration spider-man couldn't get rid of of venom by himself um, that's like the sin like sin clings to us and I remember watching that and thinking, man, what a perfect illustration of sin. We're trying to get rid of it. He's doing everything in his power. He's super strong. And this superhero uh, can't get rid of, uh, of this thing. And here we are as believers. And when we try to deal with sin on our own, we can't get rid of it. And, and I have felt just like at times, uh, just like Spider-Man, I'm doing everything possible to get rid of it. But what do we need? We need something to intercede. In this case, we need someone to intercede. We need Jesus. We need him to come in to the situation and free us from our sin. Now, there's kind of two aspects when you think of that. There's Jesus freeing us from sin and its mastery over us from the moment of our salvation. But what happens sometimes to us? It's like we willingly uh, put the chains back on. You know, so there's this uh, this, this picture that we're, Jesus breaks the chains and we're free from those, but sometimes we, we act like we're under bondage. And it's like we put the chains back on ourselves. So we need Jesus to come back in and to remind us and to show us and to free us. Some sins we have might be what we call uh, besetting sins. And when I first got saved, certain sins like Jesus just I mean, he just took them out of my life. Certain habits, I mean, they're just gone. He just like wiped them away instantaneously. Others, I had to fight through. I had to struggle with. And Jesus had to come into each of those situations and, and help me out. And there was an aspect of, of freeing me and breaking those and repentance, but there was also an aspect of, of healing. Those two usually go hand in hand. But we need Jesus to free us from whatever besetting sin. That's why whatever we're dealing with, whatever's besetting us, wherever our weaknesses are, what do we do? Looking to Jesus, as the scripture said. Maybe you need to circle it in your Bible. Maybe you need to underline it. Looking to Jesus. So when you're struggling, 
when you're fighting against it, when you've, when you've succumbed to it, friends, humble yourself. Like get down on your knees and look to Jesus and ask for his help. Remember what Augustine said, you have as many masters as you have vices. But how many masters are we supposed to have? One. And that's the Lord Jesus. Friends, when we are sexually immoral in any way, there's a couple things that happen. One, we distort our view of marriage. And we distort it for others. Because when we're sexually immoral in any way, what we're saying, especially married men or women, we're saying, um, here's what marriage really looks like. Here's what it really looks like. I mean, because we're living that out. Whether we're even hiding our sin, the point is, we're acting it out and we're living it out. So when we're being sexually immoral, thought or word or deed, what we're saying is, is here's what a marriage really looks like. And here's what I really think of marriage. We have a distorted view of marriage. And what we do is we take an eraser, you know, to the real view, and, we'll t- you know, and we kind of erase the certain parts that maybe we don't like. And then what do we do? We shade in what we want to be there. So we distort the picture. Remember this. If you're ensnared in a sin, it will affect your view of that particular thing. The very fact that you're stuck shows your view on that particular thing is affected and distorted. And you think you're looking in a mirror and everything is fine and everything looks normal, but it's one of those mirrors, you know, like they have at the carnivals, like where you're either super tall and skinny or it makes you look really uh, super short and fat. It distorts it. So you think you're seeing a, a clear picture and you think you're looking into the mirror. You're looking into Satan's mirror. You're not looking into the mirror of truth. You need to look into the mirror of truth and see what God's word says on that particular subject and about your sin. Friends, Jesus is our hope. And he came to conquer sin. He came to deal with sin. And he came to deal with your sin. Whatever it might be. No sin is too big for the cross of Christ. He Nailed it to the cross, just like Colossians talks about. He nailed it. He took care of it. The debt has been paid. You've been freed. Start living in that freedom. Last last uh, weekend, I was uh, I was at a basketball tournament, and I was uh, watching a game with uh, James Childress. And I, I asked Ashton if I could share this since it involves him. He said it was okay. So thank you, Ashton. But we're watching the game. It's a very intense game. It was uh, boys varsity basketball. And um, about halfway through, maybe even maybe even late in the third quarter, early in the fourth quarter, you know, James and I have been talking and, and cheering for the team and, and talking as the game's going on. And, and he's like, man, Ashton is hurting. Ashton is hurting. Um, and, and I thought, I didn't say this at the time, but my thinking is I know Ashton had, had dealt with a leg injury earlier and I didn't, I didn't see him limping or, or, or being slowed down by any leg injury. And so um, I'm, I'm kind of downplaying it. Um, and I'm just like, look, uh, Jane, you know, we're kind of having this conversation back and forth. I'm like, James, we need Ashton in, in, in the game. If Ashton comes out, we're going to lose the game. 
and he's going, and, and James is like, uh, he looks really hurt. And so where am I focused? I'm focused on, on like Ashton's leg. I'm like, I'm thinking, I don't see any limping. He looks fine to me. And I'm like, well, what do you think's wrong with him? And then James is like, you know, he hit, he took that hard hit in the chest in that other game. And you can see that it has affected him. And, he, you know, and, and at one point even, you know, Ashton was, was bent over. He was in, in so much pain. But, but that reoriented my thinking. Because here I was thinking, Ashton's issue was a leg issue. No, it was, it was a chest issue. And as I, as I was contemplating on that later that day, um, I felt like the Lord kind of impressed upon me a, a biblical truth. And the biblical truth was this. Here's James, the Ashton's father. And the father knows the son. And he knows everything about the son. And he knows uh, what's wrong with the son. Here, here's me, you know, uh, innocent bystander, uh, a friend of the family, uh, their pastor. But here's me um, without all the information at hand. But the father saw what was going on clearly. And, and, and the application for us is this. like The father, our heavenly father, knows his children. He knows his children. So other people might be on the outside thinking they got answers to different things and you got uh, secular psychology and, and this psychobabble over here and, and this self-help book. But like the father, he knows his children and he knows what's best for his children. And he knows for each one of us um, exactly where we're struggling. He knows exactly where we're hurt. He even knows it better than we know it. So he knows if it's a leg issue or a chest issue. He knows but he also knows that he just doesn't have knowledge of the situation. He also knows how to fix the situation and, and, and how to come into that situation and bring healing and wholeness. We have to be willing to let the Lord do that. We, the Father already knows, and I think we would all agree with that, but will we let him insert himself into our life in such a way? Will we receive the ministry that the Father has for us? He sends that through his spirit. Part of that is through his word, where he brings us truth. How, so, I mean, if we want the truth, we've got to be in the word. Part of it is through conviction. Part of it is through even our conscience. But the Father knows, and if we want to walk in wholeness, and if we know we're hurting, then we need to invite the Father into that particular situation and ask for his help. We need his involvement. So we've got to go to our Heavenly Father. We want to come into His presence. We need to ask forgiveness. We need to ask Him to help us walk through this. <clears throat> we need to walk in the newness of life that He has given us. God, there is no spiritual chain that God can't break. You couldn't make one big enough. He can break all the chains. There is no uh, spiritual force too powerful that he can't slay. Even just by the word of his mouth, the scriptures say. So wherever we might be falling short, wherever you might be struggling, wherever you have a besetting sin, like one, let's take care of that today. When, when the Bible talks about like the day is the day of salvation, I mean, there's, there's many different applications. And one of those applications is like, let's take care of stuff that we can take care of stuff like today. Don't put off for tomorrow whatever we need to deal with. Whether that may be a broken relationship or, or 
um, whatever it might be. But especially when it comes to us as believers in Christ, especially as it comes to us as children of the living God. Let's make right whatever we need to make right. Friends, sin is a big deal. It, it, it destroyed the world. What we live in now is a fallen world. And Romans 8 talks about that Scripture, uh, tells us in Scripture that creation groans in futility. It, it groans to be renewed. And in and, and the future weeks, we'll talk about like what that groaning to be renewed is a groaning for Jesus to return and receive the renewal. He, he, he's going to give us a renewal with glorified bodies, with complete sanctification, but he's also going to renew his creation. And what we see here, he will return to what it was and even more than what it was. So sin is a big deal. And sin does entangle us. That's why we're called to throw it off. Back in the scriptures, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. What's the picture that we get? We have us potentially getting tripped up. We've got sin affecting us. And then on this side, we got Jesus who's taking care of it, so much so that he's seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He has the victory. If you are in Jesus, you have that victorious life as well. We want to walk in victory, not in defeat. If we're being defeated, if our sin is defeating us, then we're supposed to take up the word of God, we're supposed to pick up the sword, and we're supposed to do battle. We're not passive in this. We are supposed to be very active in this fight. We're supposed to get on our knees and humble ourselves before God and plead for him to help us fight whatever it is. And then we go and humble ourselves to a brother or sister in Christ more mature than us spiritually and ask for them to walk with us through it. So whatever it is in our lives today that we need to get rid of, let's love Jesus enough to do so. Let's want to glorify God enough to do so. Do you think God would be glorified by getting rid of sin in our lives, by saying no to temptation? Absolutely. And, and the word says, whatever we do, we want to glorify. Whether we eat or drink, we want to do it to the glory of the Lord. We want to glorify him in all things. We are like, uh, our lives should be like action after action where we are walking in a, in a state of worship. Why? Because we're wanting to glorify God. Well, I mean, part of worship at its heart, right, is we're glorifying God for who he is. So our actions, not just on Sunday mornings for an hour and a half, but outside, should also show that we're glorifying God. That would be our worship, a spiritual worship. So we want to make sure that we walk in wholeness and righteousness before the Lord in all things. I encourage you today to do so. Let's pray. Father, wherever our brothers and sisters, uh, wherever any of them, my brothers and sisters, might be struggling, anyone in our church, God, I pray they'd repent. They'd get right before you, Lord. You've already given them, their, them your spirit to walk in righteousness. I pray you give them an extra measure of grace to resist the enemy, 
to say no to temptation, to throw off any sin that has tripped them up, and to say yes to you, Lord, that they would humble themselves in your presence. You say you oppose the proud, so to live in sin, to walk in sin, is in opposition to you. You oppose the proud, but you give grace to the humble. Lord, let us humble ourselves, Lord, that we might receive grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. Thank you so much for your goodness and your grace. Convict us, Lord, where we're falling short. Give us a humility to seek your face. And thank you that you are the Father who knows his children. You know exactly what we need, when we need it, how we need it, the measure that we need it. And you are there with us every step of the way. We love you, Lord. Amen.